At some point, we're going to need to like put a camera up so people can actually see like the cringe in my face when the two of you do these the things. The dungeon that we're sitting in right now. <laughs> in a couple weeks, maybe we will be in a dungeon. Oh, man. Podcast studio. Yeah, you're gonna so make exciting. a pod since you have you bought like enough house for like, like basically like a small city, a small <laughs> like village, basically worth of house. Are you gonna make one of the rooms like a podcast room? It's possible, but it's so low on the priority list. I was gonna say. So unbelievably low. Very unlikely. Yeah, if we let your uncle Ross come and like dictate some things i'm sure which we want he'd put up like some soundproofing he would like he'd be all about it he actually would be good for putting that up yeah but we'll we'll just table that for now yeah uh yeah all right great he's gonna get mad when he listens to this because he listens to every all single the time. one we're gonna get Just a horrible text message in the group right chat. Now. good <laughs> what is wrong with you good hey i'm on your side good i can rough. feel your anger <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes. Oh, More. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Let's get serious. Serious. Back to work. Yes. So All what right. are we talking about today? Little series. Start of a little series today. Oh. So choosing exercises for hypertrophy. It is not random. There is a strategy behind it. And so what we're going to do over the next probably three episodes is break the human body down into its sort of contingent muscle groups, talk about each one and how we as coaches uh, choose exercises uh, to stimulate muscle growth in that area. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in doing your own programming, this is obviously hopefully a pretty good guide for you. Um, even if you're completely disinterested and you have a coach doing your own pro your programming or you follow an online template or something like that, uh, hopefully this will shed some light on why your programming looks the way it does. Or potentially doesn't. Or doesn't, yeah. Or it's a, it's a it's a sign that there are a series of red flags in your programming. You should probably seek other methods of exercise. So today we're going to talk about legs. So specifically quads glutes and hamstrings. That's our plan is to try to get through all three. And so we're going to talk about uh, maybe our favorite exercises for each one. Oh. Yeah. And then maybe a little bit of phase potentiation. So what uh, exercises we choose depending on the phase of training that a client is in or that we're in, if that makes sense, because obviously it's going to change. So what do we do around the horn? Let's start with quads. Okay. Give us your favorite quad exercise and why. We'll do a quick round robin, and then we'll get into what we program and why and when and all that stuff. Uh, so right now, I really, I don't know that I say enjoy. I don't enjoy it in the moment, but uh, feet forward Smith machine squats. Yeah. Uh, definitely got a great stimulus out of that yesterday. Um, and feel more of my quad than what I actually thought I would have coming off of the hack squad. Do you like the Cybex <laughs> machine more that's like straight up and down? Or do you like the Body Masters machine more that's slanted? Uh, so I haven't tried feet forward on the 
Cybex one. I'm doing that this cycle. All right. So we'll have to compare notes because yeah. I'm on the slanted one. I've always used the slanted one. I think a lot of our remote clients, like if you work out at Planet Fitness, that one has a slant to it. So that's, that's, uh, it's a different brand, but that's similar to what we use. The Body Masters one. And that's a really nice one. I'm honestly just using the Cybex one for a change of pace to see if I like it more. Okay. That's good. All right. So what kind of rep range do you work in with something like feet forward, Smith machine, back squat? Uh, so in my top set, I'm in 12 to 15 rep range. Okay. So good. Like 10, oh. 10 to 20, 10 plus for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with a tempo, nice, always controlled lower pause in the box. So we're not pause in the bottom. So we're not bouncing up causing some tension or friction within the knees. Uh, and then for my down sets, those are prescribed at 12 reps. And so why feet forward? So why don't we talk a little bit about where your foot placement is relative to your body and how that's a little different from say back squat and then where your feet are relative to your sort of normal squatting stance. Okay, so if we're thinking about a regular back squat, <clears throat> your feet are about shoulder width apart, maybe a little bit wider, uh, but directly underneath you. So when you squat, your knees can kind of track over top of your toes. You're sitting back a little bit where you get a little bit more glute hamstring engagement um, in that movement. With the feet forward squats, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. Your feet are forward more. So in the bottom of the squat, my heels are then finally underneath of me. Um, whereas at the top of the squat, they are out in front of my body, out in front of my torso. So this is physically possible in a Smith machine because you can push back into the bar. It's physically impossible with a freestanding barbell because you would just you would fall backwards, right? Like you can't have your feet in front of you and lean and push back and not fall over. But because of, of how the machine is designed and how you're sort of in the machine, you can do that. And so the idea behind using this exercise is it really tends to isolate your quads. And so it's a really good um, alternative potentially to back squat or hack squat or leg press or something like that. But yeah. Right. What's your current quad go-to or your like all-time favorite thing? Um, probably hack squat. Hack squat. Why? Um, because it takes like it's. I always get like a good just raw quad stimulus out of it, but it takes the guesswork um, that is included with back squatting out of it um, because it's much less technical and there's much less risk for injury. So you can kind of just do it. Yeah. Um, so I think mine, I like hack squat a lot. I like feet forward Smith machine squat a lot. I like the bear squat. I like leg press. Kind of like leg extensions. Uh, but probably my all, all time favorite, number one go-to sort of bread and butter is the back squat. Uh, and it's because it's such a great raw stimulus across the board for people. It works really, really well. Obviously, it requires minimal equipment, straightforward progression. Uh, it's obviously very difficult. Um, but I think in terms of pure stimulus, that's always the, always the go-to. And then everything is sort of second to that. So 
outside of your, go ahead, what are you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say <clears throat> for some of our clients who are listening or some people who just like to listen to our podcast, if they're not at um, a gym that has a Smith machine, but would like to do or have something a little bit more quad focused, the cyclist squad is a great alternative to that. Um, and something before being in a conventional gym that I enjoyed a lot. And there's several different variations, obviously, that you can do with that, including a barbell on your back or dumbbells at your side or uh, in a goblet position. And it allows you to kind of mimic that same kind of pattern with your knees forward, a little more quad emphasis. Yeah, I think a landmine hack squat does the same thing too, or something similar. Yeah. Right. So if we're looking at other movements that are squatting patterns that isolate your quads, we tend to hit hit that a little bit more, which also inherently sort of all squatting movement patterns do. Uh, those are good alternatives. So yeah. outside of your favorite, or if you're programming for somebody, what are you filling in throughout their training week in terms of other quad movements? Um. Uh, Definitely some something unilateral, so maybe a split squat or a lunge, um, just to work on any kind of imbalances that they may have, uh, where one of those other movements that we mentioned uh, you can kind of get away with if you've got a weaker side, um, but to give them a little bit more bang for their buck, focusing on one side versus the other. Okay. Right. What about you? So what do you tend to fill in as a go-to either for yourself? You could do this like for yourself or for other people. Um, so my thought process would be both for myself and clients is that maybe I would start with um, some sort of compound quad movement. So either like a back squat or hack squat or some sort of variant like that. And then maybe after that go to um, maybe another form of a compound movement that takes less technical uh prowess so maybe maybe if you start with a back squat then maybe you go to hack squat or smith machine squat or leg extension um because the idea being that you're probably gonna you're already fatigued and um the risk for injury is a little bit higher as you go throughout because you're more tired um so that would be my thought process and i think that as you get more fatigued, the, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to lose a stimulus to your quads and that it'll turn into just trying to get it done instead of actually getting a good stimulus and connection to the target muscle. And I'd say that goes for, that's kind of my thought process for just about any movement or any muscle group that we'll talk about this episode or in the next couple ones. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. That's one of the themes that I think listeners are going to, pick up on is generally the thing that we start with is going to be the most stimulative, the most technically demanding. And for lack of a better term, in most cases, like the quote unquote, the hardest. And then it's not that the other things aren't hard and they're not stimulating, but they're going to, we're going to orient someone's programming or our own so that uh, as we move through it and as fatigue grows, we're going to use movements that are less technically demanding or that require less neural output. And so that'll kind of become obvious in terms of what those are, because it's our pattern is going to stay the same for basically all muscle groups. Um, but yeah, so I really like starting with something like back squat. If it's, if it's for myself, often move then to hack squat or like this cycle back squat and then into feet forward Smith machine squat. So again, both of those are less technically demanding than freestanding barbell squat. 
uh, for like we have a transformer bar at our facility. So that's a situation too, where you could go back squat and then transformer bar front squat. So again, less or safety bar squat, less technically demanding. If someone's light on equipment, that's a situation where you could go <clears throat> dumbbell squat or dumbbell cyclist squat. Uh, those are, again, less technically demanding, tend to be a little bit lighter weight, uh, make sense as a second or third lower body movement. Um, and usually what we'll do for ourselves and for other people, depending on how many days a week they train, there's a really big benefit to stimulating a muscle group more than once a week. So you'll see if you, you know, follow like professional bodybuilding, they do what's often referred to as a bro split, which is they effectively train each muscle group once. So if you're extremely muscular, that can make sense uh, because it takes them potentially so long to recover that they only can do it once or maybe once every six days or five days or something like that because they're so physically strong. And their muscle can take so much damage that they cannot recover prior to that. However, we are not them. The people listening, for the most part, I'm assuming, are not them. And so that doesn't make as much sense. We are not as physically strong and don't carry as much muscle. And this would include myself. And so in that case, it makes sense to stimulate a muscle group more than once a week. So there's a huge benefit for going once to twice. There's some benefit going to, uh, from two to three times and then so on, but incrementally less benefit each time. For big lower body muscle groups like your quads or your glutes or your hamstrings, I found that I really can only recover uh, doing two sessions a week and they have to be spread fairly far apart and I have to be pretty careful about my volume. I think we've all three of us have found that. So what we'll do is like on quad day one, this is for myself. I'll use myself as an example because we have effectively like unlimited access to equipment. And so the reason we work out where we work out and how we kind of split our days and arrange our days is because of that, right? Because the idea is to find the optimal set of exercises. So pretty close to optimal would be something like back squat into hack squat or Smith machine squat. You could also do like back squat into leg press that would work or back squat into bear squat. So two squatting movement patterns. And then at that point, your ability to generate uh, output from your quads is starting to probably suffer if you're going hard. And so at that point, we're going to start to switch to a different muscle group. And this might uh, maybe a good chance for us to segue. The last thing I want to ask you guys about is if we're going to stimulate our quads twice a week, uh, what does that second session looks, look like? So the first session is quad-focused lower body, we'll say. So you're taking it to the face with hard squatting movements, close to failure, heavy, uh, somewhere in the kind of the 5 to 10, 6 to 12 rep range for the first one probably, um, and then maybe in the 10 to 20 rep range for the second one, we'll say. Uh, what does the second day look like? Let's say it's maybe not a quad emphasis day. It's a, a hamstring or glute emphasis day. So the second day, we'll just use myself as an example, would be, like you said, the opposite emphasis is what the first day was. So if the first day was quad, then the second day would be hamstring or glute. Um, but as we were saying, you still have to have, we still want some quad stimulus at some point in there. So 
given that the focus is the hamstrings and the glutes, those movements would come first. So you would do your hamstring and glute exercises before your quad stuff, given that it's the focus. So you want to have the most energy devoted towards it. And similar to what we were saying before, like as you get more fatigued, you probably want to stray away from more technically demanding movements. So in general, and then also with, um, like your quad stuff. So what I would probably not do is do my hamstring and glute stuff, get pretty fatigued and then go and back squat. That's the opposite of what I would do. What I do want to do is do something that is relatively safe and that I can do in probably the 10 to 20 rep range. So maybe leg extensions or leg press or in theory, hack squat, um, cyclist squats, anything like that, because it, technicality is pulled out of it and um it isn't going to be as fatiguing as like a six to 12 rep range compound movement um so the volume is likely i mean i guess depends on the person but for me the volume on the second day is going to be less and vice versa so on my quad focus day i'm still going to do some hamstring movement but it's going to be pretty um non-technically not technically demanding um so maybe like a seated hamstring curl and that's going to be it um so i'm already fatigued from my quad stuff that i did but i just want to get some stimulus in without causing a ton more fatigue or putting myself at risk for injury yeah yeah perfect so yeah i would echo that same exact thing so on your sort of posterior chain emphasis <clears throat> lower body day which we'll start to talk about in a second uh, by the time you get to your quad thing, if say if it's your third exercise, you have a lot of fatigue. Um, so we don't necessarily want to add more axial fatigue, like holding a barbell, uh, basically central nervous system, spinal column fatigue. So that's where something like leg press or what Ryan and I sort of globally refer to as like dumb animal exercises come in. Uh, and basically what that means is exercises that you just, you just can kind of do the movement if they don't require a lot of technical prowess or a lot of attention. I mean, you pay attention to your technique, of course, but it's not the same as a freestanding compound barbell movement where where that requires more of you, more neural drive, uh, things like that. So why don't we go from here, segue? So that's quad stuff. Um, the goal would be to get good pumps in your quads for those things and to have your quads just recover in time for your next lower body session. Um, and based on that, we can add um, volume. So volume in the in the way of sets and obviously progress either the individual or ourselves in terms of weight and or reps, depending on the movement. Uh, some things are more conducive to adding reps, like say maybe leg extensions. Uh, and then other things could be weight and or reps. And that could be back squat, hack squat, leg press, bear squat, dumbbell squat, all those kind of things could go either way, depending on the person. So why don't we talk about the two sort of the dichotomy of hamstring things. So like hamstring hip hinge movements and then hamstring flexion movements. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you hamstring hip hinge because you're the queen of the <laughs> hamstring hip hinge. Tell us about your, uh, your favorites, basically favorite favorite my favorite hinging movement um well that's hard uh is either going to be the good morning or 
a barbell straight leg or stiff leg deadlift. Um, I, it's probably the movement that I've made the most amount of progress in uh, over the last several years. Um, and it's really allowed me to make a really good mind muscle connection with my hamstrings and kind of that tie in into my glutes that before I never really felt. Um, so it's, it's something that I know that I'm working hard. So it's a tie. Yeah. Between those two, that's, it, it's tough. And I, I think it's again, because my range of motion and both are very, very similar. Like I have great range of motion, um, that I don't know that I could pick one over the other, which is nice. In a, in a perfect world you have, everybody has a hierarchy of movements that they really feel like they get a little more out of, or that maybe they like a bit more. But the reality is to have like one and one, one A, one B and one C in terms of your uh, things that you rotate between and that all of them deliver a very similar stimulus. All right. So right, hamstring, hip hinge, and then we'll talk about hamstring flexion movements. Um, I would say probably a barbell or dumbbell straight leg deadlift. Yeah, I would say straight leg deadlift for me too. Uh, I'd really like the transformer bar. Good morning. Uh, with regular good morning, sometimes I can't get in. I can get like an okay position, but I don't. It's not the same stimulus as a straight leg deadlift. But with the transformer bar, good morning, because of the nature of how it sits on my back, that's <clears throat> it's a little more of like a low bar back squat position uh, or bar position. I get, I feel like I get a little better stimulus from it. So yeah, I think those are the big ones. Obviously, you can do dumbbell straight leg deadlifts. You can do sumo straight leg deadlifts. You can you do straight leg deadlifts with a trap bar. When we say straight leg, your legs aren't literally straight. They're just stiff. Uh, so you unlock your knees a little bit at the top. Uh, you wouldn't keep your legs completely straight. That's fairly dangerous. Uh, but you just don't let them bend anymore as you hinge over. All right, so hamstring flexion. So this is an important point. You need to do both. So if you're primarily concerned uh, with developing your physique, so if you're a competitive powerlifter, uh, you probably make the arg argument you don't need to do a ton of hamstring flexion, maybe a little, little bit just to balance it out. Uh, but if you're primarily interested in fully de developing your physique and your lower body, we want to do both um, because your hamstrings, the way they attach, they do two different things. So they extend your hips and they, they basically uh, bend your leg. So if you think about standing and then uh, bringing your heel towards your rear end, that's your hamstring working. So if we, that's hamstring flexion. So if we think about that movement, what are your favorites, uh, favorite exercises? Mm, I don't know. You want to come back? I was going to say, yeah, you go ahead, go, 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 go come back. I don't, I don't know how you have so much trust. It's just like, yeah, bam, you know it. Um, I'd say seated hamstring curl because um, I can put myself like, shimmy myself into a good position to have a really great stimulus to my hamstrings um, in that I kind of lean over the machine so that it completely takes out um, the urge to like use your hips almost to drive the to help assist your hamstrings um, so and I feel like I can get like a great contraction at the bottom so it just leaves me in shambles when I get off of it <laughs> Good. You want to go now? Well, I was just going to say that, that that's kind of the hard part is like I, 
I like both seated and lying and I'm able to be in a good position in both of them. Uh, I know obviously for watching you guys that you guys um, lying may not get as much of a stimulus uh, or tend to not be able to stay in as good of a position as I can. Cause I literally am able to keep my hips without like popping up off of the pad. Um, so I don't know. It, it's hard. I'd say if I'm going single leg, I like seated better. If I'm doing both legs together, I like lying better. So I've been using lying leg curls for several cycles, trying to get better at it. It's like slowly happening. But this cycle, uh, I'm going to use both of my favorites. So favorite number one is glued ham raises. And so this is favorites in terms of the stimulus that I get. So uh, pump to my hamstrings in the moment, like as I'm doing them, like you, you quote unquote, feel it in your hamstrings and then subsequent delayed onset muscle soreness. So my two top ones are really my heavy hitters for hamstring flexion. It's glute ham raises and then, uh, inverse leg curls, which you showed me how to set this up. We don't yeah. have an, there's an inverse leg curl machine that we don't have access to. We're fortunate to have access to a, a GHD machine to use, do glued ham raises. Um, but there's a way that we figured out to basically jerry-rig our one, a 45-degree back raise machine or apparatus to, to do this. And so both of those give me wild stimulus and lots of delayed onset muscle soreness. Uh, so, and I've been able to progress with them. So now that I'm moving back into a, like a hypercaloric growth phase, this is the time to bring out the heavy hitters and uh, try to get as much as I can out of those, those days. So uh, those, those are inherently challenging movements. Um, in some cases, people don't always have the hamstring strength to do one or either of them. And that's okay. It's something where you can use bands and you can work up to that um, while doing some of the other things, lying leg curls, seated leg curls, stuff like that. But the, what I think the big thing with something like that is to make sure that you're not losing the underlying stimulus of the movement. So especially with something like hamstring curls, that should be, if you're doing sets of five, uh, like you're, first of all, putting yourself at risk of injury. And number two, almost certainly not getting much out of that. They're very much 10 to 20 rep range things. And your first set should probably be in the 15 to 25 rep range. Um, it's just not something we're going to do for low reps. Uh, so uh, let's talk about, we have a couple minutes. Let's talk about glutes and then we'll talk about calves maybe next time. We'll put calves with something else. Yeah. So we, it, for me, I also, my calves, I do on my, I guess I have one lower bar day, one low bar day day where I do my calves, but are the other ones on my upper body day. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, calves are an interesting thing because they, how we attack them is a little bit different. And obviously there's a big genetic component to it too. So why don't we talk about uh, stimulating your glutes? Glutes. In why don't we way? tease it? And then we'll, cause we have, just have a couple <laughs> minutes. We'll tease the glute. Tease the glute. And then we'll uh, maybe take a whole episode to talk about glutes and calves next time. Are you looking at me? You're the one that's like wellness this, wellness that. <laughs> Feel yourself with wellness. This is the um, whole next I'd episode say, just going to be you talking about about glute training. 
Uh, like basically sure. frog frog pumps in in Whitney Simmons bands. I don't do any of that. Um, Weird. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call into some questions, some assumptions next time on the glued episode. Uh, yeah, I feel like that that's what that needs to be because I think that that's the thing is if if you are a lady or a man who wants to glow your grow your glutes, goodness, uh, that there is a lot of misinformation out there. And there's a lot of like, do these really weird, potentially dangerous exercises out there, uh, that are, there's so much better exercises. that will give you a lot bigger bang for your buck, uh, when it comes to glute training. Yes, I agree. So we'll get into that next time. Uh, why don't we take the last minute to talk? We'll get, we'll turn it to Rye to talk about how your reps go phasically. Say you're going to do three mesocycles of hypertrophy training with the goal of putting on as much muscle as you can, uh, lower body muscle. What are your, uh, rep range is going to look like between meso one, meso two and meso three. Yeah. So we've, I've, we touched on this like a couple episodes ago, but basically the first two, um, generally you want to have a little bit of a lower rep range and the last one generally a bit higher. So the first two, maybe the first movement, you might go six to 12 second movement, maybe like at eight to 15 or 10 to 15, 10 to 20 for those first two mesocycles. And then the third mesocycle, maybe the first movement is in eight to 15, 10 to 15. And then the all, all movements, after that and in the second focus day would be a 10 to 20 with maybe some intensity techniques. So maybe it's a myo rep, a rest pause, a superset, whatever it may be. Um, so generally lighter weight and higher rep range yeah. as you kind of, as you go through the block. Yeah. So that's the easy way to think about it. This, and we'll continue the patterns the same for most muscle groups. Uh, so we're going to start a little heavier slightly lower rep ranges, and then go lighter, higher rep ranges as we progress. Quads, baby. We'll okay. see you next time for glutes. See ya.